0: Hello and welcome to this crash course on Outplay 2022. I am Belligan, and with me today is the man who is the biggest proponent for Shadowrun on RPG Crossing I have ever met. It's Inveros.
1: How's it going, everyone?
0: Now, I hope I said your name right. Do you go Inveros or Inveros? I think I've heard it both ways.
1: I've always pronounced it Inveros myself because it's actually a contraction of I'm Veros. So I've always gone Inveros.
0: There we go. So I, I've been saying it right, Inveros this whole time. <laughs> Excellent. So for this segment, what I wanted to do is sit down with you and talk through Outplay 2022 and how to play it. And especially because, as I think people are figuring out, we are running a Shadow Run themed hack of the Outplay system from 2021, which was a hack of Lasers and Feelings. And a lot of our players on RPG Crossing are primarily familiar with Dungeons and Dragons and Pathfinder and fantasy type settings for what they've played, or maybe more futuristic like Star Wars and things like that. But this is a little bit of a different animal, and there seems to be a lot of terminology and lingo that sounds cool. But for those of us with more of a fantasy background, we don't know what that is a lot of times. So we're hoping to sit down, get all that out of the way, and make it so that anybody can pick up and play this system okay so with that in mind uh and what i'd like for you to do is just give us a quick overrun of not the game but the setting for shadow run and some of the the terminology that people are going to run into
1: so basically what shadow run is is well mainly it's an 80s view of what the near future was going to be they've tried updating it with each Each edition, they try and keep it about 70 years ahead of the game, and they've made a few updates, but it's still kind of like a gritty retro future. And one of the things I kind of like about it is that the fact that it's not too far ahead lets you explore issues that you're facing today, but the fantasy aspects really help put a little bit of distance in between you and these topics so that they don't get quite as depressing. But a lot of, like, the central themes are about, like, individuality and, you know, um, inequality and, you know, just the dichotomy between, like, the corporations and the shadow runners and what types of lives you like to lead. I know a lot of people have talked about, like, as the additions have gone on, how it's kind of moved away from its punk roots. But I think that might just be more with, you know, how the players are playing it and less, I don't know. I've just always I've just always enjoyed it. So as I just kind of circle back to what I said earlier, it's just kind of a modern setting with a little bit of distance. So like, you know, you still have a lot of your fantasy tropes. And the nice part is too is since it is in a modern setting, you can put in all of those sweet sweet pop culture references because they all actually exist and see, you can actually quote Lord of the Rings in your quotes because it's a thing that really happened. There's actually an all dwarf gang called the sons of Gimli that actually run around with axes and like have braided beards and really like go all the way in on it. And that's something that you can have in shadow run and not really, you know, it can be a little jarring to have those pop culture references and other systems and worlds where these references don't exist.
0: So, to summarize what I'm hearing, it takes place roughly seven years in the future from now. And we have a couple themes that, that got shot out. One of them is with corporations that they've kind of taken over and are running everything.
1: That is correct. Yeah. Is it part, part of the lore, they were kind of given their own self-governing status. And then they really ran with that and pretty much run the world from a giant space station. So they control the world's currency, the new yen, which is kind of like a cryptocurrency but like a cryptocurrency as they would have envisioned it back in the 80s. And then the corporate council, the 10 strongest or not necessarily largest, but the 10 strongest corporations run the corporate council from a giant space station with weapons of mass destruction on it.
0: Now, you also mentioned the term Shadowrunners and the name of the game is, is Shadowrun uh, or the setting in this case. Yeah. So what exactly is a Shadowrunner?
1: So, just kind of like the loosest term a shadow runner is basically a mercenary. It is a person with a set of skills, whether that be you know as as we'll move in a little later talking about the different roles. it's someone that can handle different aspects, you know, someone that is good at social skills, or combat, or driving, or even just magic itself is a very valuable skill. So you have these people with valuable skills that have been kind of like pushed out of society for whatever reason you want to come up with in your backstories, and then you're basically a mercenary, and you use these skills for a variety of employers. They're all just collectively called Mr. Johnson, and that's just... Kind of where the game takes place. Sometimes the corporations will hire them, so they have that plausible deniability. Uh, and a lot of uh, the pre-published adventures, they will have like um, rights groups or you know things that don't have the power to tip the scales that are so heavily against them. They will use these shadow runners to kind of be their ace in the hole.
0: So that's who the, the players are going to be as shadow runners. Um, now you also mentioned that the setting is basically earth in the sense that everything that's happened up to this point has happened so you can use those pop culture references um but we'll dig into this a little bit but there's a lot of things that are also unearthlike in that we have kind of um three different worlds right there's the the physical world and then we also deal with magic and something we call the matrix
1: right and that's kind of like what makes shadow run so special like the whole premise of the setting was that the Mayan calendar, when the world was supposed to end in 2012, what that meant was the fifth world ended and the sixth world began, which is what they call Shadowrun, the sixth world. And it was really talking about the return of magic and dragons started waking up and more fantasy creatures are slowly being introduced. And that kind of introduces the magic aspect of it. And then, of course, well, there's that magical aspect that corporations are trying their technological arms race to try and keep up with magic. And just from a gameplay perspective, just like balancing all of the classes and going through missions and things like that, one of the core concepts of the game is the blended worlds, where you have your physical world, your magical world, and your matrix or your online, your electronic world, and just kind of how they all overlap and work together.
0: So that's a lot to deal with it makes it pretty clear why some of the rules books for Shadowrun themselves are 1700 plus pages
1: oh yeah yeah altogether it's it's quite daunting to be honest just re- reading them as they came out is one of the few reasons why I think I understand it as well as they as they do and why I think it's going to be good using this system here so that I don't need to read 500 pages of matrix supplements. If I want to do something cool with my deck, I can just do it and make my outplay roll, and then move on.
0: That's right. So uh, what we're talking about specifically is we've, we've taken this, this vast world uh, of Shadowrun run on all the complex rules. And we're really cramming that down into one rules light system, which we experimented with last year and had a lot of success. So decided to continue this year. And it started as a hack of lasers and feelings, which has a really simple premise. You have one die, a d6, you have a character number between two and five. And then in lasers and feelings, you're either rolling lasers or feelings. And I forget which one is high and which ones are low. (laughs) But based off your character number, you're, you're better at one or the other. So if you have a five, it's easier to roll low and get below it versus rolling high. With that in mind, we want to make sure that everyone is comfortable being able to play not only in the, the shadow run setting uh, as we've kind of set and in what's involved, but also with the system. So what we're going to do now is go over character creation, how you put a character together. And this will also dig a little bit more into some of the shadow run lore, some of the things that are applicable there. And then after that, we'll talk a little bit about how to actually make that work in, in playing a post. So pulling up the the rules for character creation, the first thing we have you do is pick a name. And So then comes our first question for you, Imbrose: is what kind of names would we see in Shadowrun?
1: Well, that's one of the things that's kind of interesting, is that it's still our modern world. Uh, I have a biblical name. My three best friends have biblical names. It's the same boys' names boys have had for 2,000 years. So there's really not going to be a whole lot of change for real names. You know, like you might have your orcs or your elves that might want to, you know, make something more flowery-sounding. But there's no reason you can't be John Smith the Orc. What gets more interesting, though, is when you come up like with your street names and your handles, and that's kind of where you can get more of that Shadowrun feeling. And as I've been playing over the years, I have found a few different types of street names. Most of them will be like something you are good at, and then something related to that thing that you're good at. And then there are, of course, the ironic names, where it is the exact opposite of what you are and what you're good at. And then I often find that some of the best street names in the games I've had have actually come externally and just kind of been like jokes at the tables, which I know are hard to make as we're playing, but it's always nice to think, you know, you've seen so many like um, Havoc and Destruction, and those names aren't quite as interesting Uh, My favorite story I always love to tell about a street name is I had a character that was a human in a party of very exotic races. And when we met the Johnson to give us the job, he joked, who's this? The diversity hire. And then that became his street name was diversity hire, which had nothing to do with his skill set. It had nothing to do with his personality. It was just a joke and it stuck and he hated it. And that was something that worked really well for that character was him hating his street name, but liking his teammates and, you know, the things that they did. So it was just kind of one of those extra layers. And I think that significantly more thought should go into the street name than your physical name, because at the end of the day, nobody is going to be calling you John Smith, the Orc. They're going to be calling you Slipstream or something like that.
0: So we've got their actual name and we have their runner name. Which is kind of like you could think of it almost as a secret identity. whatever everyone calls them, uh, right, Or their or code name. or code name. Yeah. We've also the way we tied this in in last year because we don't really have classes is we had you put on a title to your name that would kind of uh, associate with with what it is and what you're good at. And I assume that would be part of the the street name.
1: Yeah, that would actually be pretty good too. So you could be like Slipstream, the Nova Hot Decker which is a uh, a matrix class. They're kind of like the hacker types, or you could put, you know, um, whisper the covert ops specialist. And then you could just easily tie in just either a direct uh, role name at the end or something a little more flowery or indirect for the role at the end. It won't be, you know, like nobody's going to say the full thing, but that's your legend. That's your, how the fixers will see you.
0: And if you're not sure what that's going to be for your character yet, I would say feel free to to choose your title or those extra additions to your street name after you've kind of gone through the, the rest of the character development. If you need that for for inspiration, next let's talk about the the races we've mentioned. It's Earth and where we're at. Obviously, uh, there's only humans here, <laughs> and in Shadowrun we've got quite a few different races. So specifically on the chart, we have you roll or select human, elf, dwarf orc or troll and those are kind of the the five core races maybe you can just give us a quick rundown of how they fit in Shadowrun versus what we might think of from a uh, traditional fantasy setting
1: I will say that a lot of the the races here are just directly taken from fantasy settings I mean you have your elves and everyone loves them because they're you know beautiful and agile and graceful and um yeah you know you have your dwarves and they're stout and they're tough and your orcs are they're, they're strong and your trolls are big and brutish but the thing that's interesting about that is that just like in the real world the stereotypes are just kind of stereotypes you have your ugly elves and you have your you know your your weak trolls and in the system itself everybody starts at a you know at a lower Stat, And then you just fill those in with your pools as you're going. And then, you know, just like in real life, stereotypes aren't always, you know, they'll be based in reality. But another thing kind of that comes into this, too, is one of the main tenets of Shadowrun is like racism. So you have your beautiful races and you have your ugly races. And I I mean, it's, it's, it's just one of those things that you can put your own spin on it. As I'd mentioned earlier, you know, there are plenty of people that wholly play into those stereotypes. And in the most recent uh, Shadowrun canon, I believe there's an orc running for president, and there are orc CEOs, and there are, you know, troll shamans, and you can pretty much be whatever you want, and then either playing to the stereotypes or playing against the stereotypes is just up to the player's choice.
0: So much like the name, the, the race in this case is purely for flavor. It doesn't change anything mechanically uh, about your character in, in our Rules Light hack that we're using. Now, we did know you've got the option for exotic races, and that's kind of a carryover from last year. If we're sticking with the Shadowrun theme, you kind of have those four or those five core races. What kind of things could you potentially see as an exotic race that might fit?
1: So in exotic races, you know, as the editions come out they come out with additional books that have like side variants so like they're side variants of elves and one of them is like a dryad it's more fey based it's even more unearthly beautiful um for your orcs you have things like oni's like asian orcs that you know have different skin colorings and different horn patterns similar to you know asian style demons uh, for your orcs, I mean, sorry, for your trolls, you have Cyclopses and Minotaurs, all various uh, specific regional offshoots. They even have four armed humans in certain parts of the world. Uh, if you want to get even more exotic than that, one of the ma- big uh, plot points for one of the previous editions was when Haley's Comet came back, that it just caused magic to go crazy and it actually caused some people to mutate. And then they became like cat people or lizard people or bird people. And there's whole sect, whole chapters of rules about mutating into various archetypes like that. Then you have like drakes, uh, which are like minions of the dragons, which are usually more for NPC things because nobody wants to be that closely tied to something so powerful. But they have things like uh, AIs there are whole slat books about playing artificial intelligences and how they interact with the world. Um, Yeah. I mean, there's all kinds of crazy stuff, but I will admit that, you know, a, a lot of the times people are just playing the exotic races just to be something exotic and not necessarily focusing on what it means to be a bird person in a dystopian cyberpunk future. Those are the kind of things that you need to keep in mind as you're, you know, strolling down the street to your nine to five job and you're molting.
0: Yeah, I think that's a that's a great point. You've got your option on the race. It's really just flavor, but that means it is flavor. You need to think about how that's going to affect how your character acts and how they interact with everybody else and, and with the world around them. So step that's the first two steps, getting your name, choosing your race. And then the next one really is the start of determining what your character is going to be good at and that is choosing your character number. So that can be anywhere from two to five, or you can just roll a D6. We roll it if it's a one or six and, and take whatever, whatever you get. And in the last year's iteration of this, we just said a higher number means you're better at physical things. A lower number means you're better at mental things. We've pretty much stuck with that. But we did have a big discussion on how to handle the difference between magic and matrix and at the end of the day we decided we're just going to clump those in as as the same thing so the lower your 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 character number the better you are at those things
1: right yeah it's still just as a simplification it's more of a mental exercise than a physical exercise
0: right exactly and so the way to think about this if you pick a high number when you're doing something more physical you want to roll, roll below that number um, whereas if you're doing something that's more mental exercise, you've got a low character number, so you want to roll above it. So a two and a five are kind of the extremes, whereas three and four is a little bit more of a, a happy medium. And then we'll get into it when we go on the rules, but if you happen to roll your character number, that's like uh, an extra an extra bonus. So that part is pretty much the same as it was last year. It's just kind of have everything folded down to one linear scale versus a couple different scales or multiple stats, as you'd see in, in other uh, D20 type systems. Once you have that chosen, the next section is picking your gear and your, your archetype, and your archetype is really going to determine the flavor of your character and what they can do, uh, and that rolls into their gear and their skills. But let's start with your basic gear. We say everybody gets two basic pieces of gear. They get a comm link, and they get a weapon of, of some choice. So just in case anyone doesn't know, what exactly is a comm link, and what would you use that for?
1: So basically a comlink is every personal electronic device mashed together into one single device. Just kind of like how cell phones today are cameras and recorders and, you know, computers and games and just everything rolled into one. So basically like a regular cell phone, just give it 70 more years.
0: All right, so super advanced cell phone. That's your comic. Like, it's not just a, a little pin you push to talk to the captain on the ship to beam you up. <laughs> <laughs> a lot more than just that. Now we also allow for weapons, and uh, what kind of weapons are are there in Shadowrun?
1: Well, kind of the, one of the things I love about the fiction, and I think it's just kind of one of those things that they kind of use to sell the dystopia. It's how important name brands are. Like it's amusing reading the fiction, and during a fight it will say the brand name of the weapon they're using three or four times across two pages. And that's something like in Shadowrun is like, even in the books themselves, they'll have little conversations between the people. Of, oh, you use Ares weapons. Well, I prefer to use, you know, this other company's type of weapons, even though they're almost identical mechanically. So that's something that's interesting just because, I mean, at the end of the day, it's similar to firearms like we have now and swords and clubs and, you know, uh, brass knuckles and knives. And But you make that shadow run by that's not just any gun. That's the new Ares Predator 5. And coming up with ridiculous brand names for things is half the fun.
0: It's like musicians bragging about their gear, the latest version of the newest Fender, the best Zildjian symbol, or whatever.
1: It sounds like. <laughs> exactly. Oh, yeah, it's just so, like I said, for just for weapons, it's similar types of weapons we have now, just more highly commercialized.
0: So those two pieces of gear you're going to be considered specialized in. And we'll, when we talk about playing the game, we'll, we'll discuss what that means exactly. Uh, and you're, you're rolling low with those. So your characters that are more uh, physically oriented rather than mentally oriented are going to be going to be better with those. So maybe we can have discussion about comlink usage at some point, whether that fits out or not. But that's the way it's written uh, for now. Just a quick editor's note, this has been adjusted so that using your calm link will always be rolling high as a mental activity, and using your weapon will always be rolling low as a physical activity. And once you have that, then you gotta pick an archetype: type, uh, meat, magic, or matrix, and which one you wanna pick, you can kind of you know, eliminate a little bit by your character number. So if you went with a low CN, you're probably not going to be meat focused because that's more physical. Um, so if you have a high CN, you're probably meat. But if you're a low CN, then you got to pick whether it's a, a magic or a matrix uh, archetype. And even in those, there's, there's a lot of variance. So let's, let's break these down and start with specializing in meat. If that's your archetype, what does that mean for you as far as the type of character you are?
1: So the most traditional type of meat characters are like your street samurais that have lots of armor and they have the cybernetics and you know they're faster than fast and stronger than strong, but also kind of in the setting there are like you know like less flashy things. You have stuff like um, uh, skill skill wires that teach you how to do like matrix style. Like I want to fly a plane and they can download that in there. And they're splat book on splat book on splat book of all the various cyberware. They also have things called bioware, which are basically just organs that have been grown to be super powerful, to make you think faster, move faster. There are a lot of comparisons between cyberware and bioware, and there are a lot of trade-offs that are mostly mechanical, just kind of as you're building your characters, but there are things that like make you not need to sleep nearly as long, and things that make your bones harder. And there's just pretty much just think about ways to physically augment a human body or a meta-human body if you're going with the other races to just make you like the six million dollar man, basically.
0: Now to keep all of the archetypes similar in power and not have some of the um questions about is it better to be physical or mental that we did last year with magic versus non-magic characters Uh, every archetype's going to get three moves and the gear that you get is is essentially tied to those moves so we have you pick either and and we kind of roll in all these augmentations and bioware and cyberware we're the generic term we're using is just enhancement so you can have either one enhancement that's going to have three moves, or you can have three separate enhancements that are going to give you each a move or a combination, one that gives you two and one that, that gives you one. Just so you have a combination of three moves, then you have the enhancements that let you perform those moves. And then one of those you'll pick to be your signature move. So that's the thing that you're especially well-known for or, or really, really good at. But maybe we can have you just give us an example of an enhancement and a move that that would potentially give you.
1: So, like, one of the most iconic pieces of cyberware is they have cyber spurs, which are basically like Wolverine claws. So that could be your signature thing, as you have blades that just shoot out of your hands. And then there are any number of special moves where it could all be combat-oriented. And just kind of that special move is where I think you can get really creative and don't just put, like, slash, but you could put... Know, now, now I'm blanking on something that sounds really cool, but you could put something really cool, you know, um,
0: I'm thinking of wolverine claws like environmental weapons yeah. chop down the nearest tree pole or or telephone line or something on top of your enemy.
1: right, right. And then you know there are other enhancements that you could uh have signature moves, so like there are um so you as I'd mentioned earlier, there are things that like make your bones tougher. And you could have, you know, um, one of your items could be bone lacing. That's what they call that procedure. And then one of your signature move could be like fist of steel or something like that. That's got an interesting, uh, one of the things I had mentioned in our examples of some of the moves that you could do, there are things like gas projectors where you can like have compartments in your lungs and breathe poison chemicals on people that you could use as a debuff with your things like bioware. You can have things like uh, webbed feet or reversed uh, jointed knees to have, like, jumping abilities or...
0: Yeah, quite a a few options there. So for the effects, and we've kept this common with all of the, the moves and so forth that we'll see with the other archetypes, is the effects are either categorized as healing, damage, buff, debuff, or utility. And there's going to be specific rules uh, in, the, in the guide you can go to that'll show how that impacts mechanically what you, you can do with it. So you can think of something that you can do really cool with the augmentation or maybe think of an effect that you'd like to have and then think of what kind of enhancement would potentially let you do that. So that's the, that's the overview of me. And that maybe is the, the easiest one to understand. Um, now, on the other end of the spectrum, if you've chosen the low character number, you've got to pick either magic or matrix. And we'll start with magic because I think this is probably the most intuitive for those who've played fantasy settings um, versus matrix because magic really is, is kind of the same um, except there is a little bit different terminology. So we have hermetics or uh, shamanic traditions and uh, maybe you can just give us an overview of what the the difference is between the two and how you flavor a character towards one or the other.
1: Yeah. so, like in the core rule book, those are your traditions that you start with, a shaman and hermetics. And from a mechanic' standpoint, shamans will cast off of charisma, and hermetics will cast off of logic. And that's really what it flows into is that hermetics, like, have colleges. So one of the things in the setting is MIT the Michigan Institute of Technology and Thaumaturgy. And they study these things and have books and, you know, uh, sigils and all of this kind of stuff. And then shamans are more just kind of in touch with nature and just, you know, doing things more intuitively than scholastically. Very similar to other fantasy settings, basically your difference between a sorcerer and a wizard.
0: Right, one's more force of will and one's more knowledge and and study.
1: And shamans can also include things like druids, and honestly, I think the better comparison is that shamans are more like spontaneous casters, and hermetics are more uh, prepared casters.
0: So that's the the fill of the two different casters um the adventuring gear you get with this is some kind of a, a spell focus that's just again kind of carrying over from last year so it's what you physically use to to cast your spells and then similar to me you have three known spells and those are the ones that you can cast and then you pick one of those to be your signature spell um now notably one difference is we don't have cantrips uh in shadow run so the magic you have is just the the spells that, that you choose and next, let's talk about Matrix. Matrix kind of has almost three different sub uh, archetypes in it, whether it's a Decker or a Rigger or a Technomancer. And let's uh, all of those words, the well, Technomancer maybe is, is one that's familiar, but from a fantasy setting, Decker and rigor are, are completely foreign. So let, let's start with a breakdown of, of what each of those is and what they do.
1: So a decker is called a decker because they use a piece of equipment called a cyberdeck. And a cyberdeck is basically a super advanced computer. So they're usually about the size of a large laptop. And they have all of the special software and hardware and all of that stuff that lets you go into the matrix and not just experience it, but actually like alter aspects of it that allow you to get into the places you're not supposed to get into and mess with the things you're not supposed to mess with. So that right there is just kind of a more, you know, physical, you have these objects, you've learned how to use these objects and you use these items and your skill to get what you want. Whereas when you move into Technomancers, that's almost kind of like one of the things they have in the settings is kind of like a parody between Magic and Technomancers and more that you don't have a device, you just have an innate connection to technology. So like you can just talk to the vending machine and convince it to give you that uh, bag of chips for free and you just intuitively enter these systems and they do what you want because of your special abilities. So it's kind of more of, are you accessing and influencing the matrix using these external devices, or are you doing the matrix through kind of like force of will and innate abilities in the system? Kind of like what I always tell people when it's a very high overview coming from other systems is that deckers are kind of like the fighters of the matrix. You know, they're more upfront, more direct and that the technomancers are kind of like the rogues of the matrix, because if something, you know, they're more subtle, they're more finesse based because at the end of the day, if something goes terribly, terribly wrong, you can buy a new deck if you're a decker. But if something goes terribly, terribly wrong as a technomancer, your brain is melting out your ears
0: not a good thing to have happen
1: no no so but then your riggers are kind of like they're the wheelmen they control vehicles they control drones um they do overwatch and recon and there are just as many splat books for riggers as there are for anything else dozens and dozens of pages of every kind of drone you could think of for pretty much any kind of task And I think that's one of the things that'll be fantastic about this rules light is that you can just have a concept for a drone and do it. You don't need to worry about size categories and, you know, 50 pages of enhancement rules and, you know, making sure you have the right resource allocate. And, you know, it's just so much easier to be like, yeah, I have a drone that does this, 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 and this, and it looks like this and it's called a this. And you just have so much more freedom on that.
0: So the way that we've simplified this for our rules light system, basically, a, if you're a decker, um, you'll be getting a, a deck, and all of your known programs will be used to interface with with the matrix. Versus a rigger is going to have a rigger control console, and all of their moves are going to be associated with with drones. Much in the same way that with me, you can have you know one enhancement that does three things, or three enhancements. Uh, the drones work the same way. If you've got one drone with three functions or you can have three drones with a dedicated function or or a combination of the two. And the Technomancer chooses one of those two roles to fill, whether they're like a Decker or a Rigger. And then they use a complex form and it's their signature complex form really to, to achieve those same type functions. So let's dig in just a little bit into starting with a Decker. What are some examples of programs and again it uses the same effects guide healing damage buff debuff utility but it's it's not in the real world it's in the matrix so let's talk a little about how how those programs would uh implement the the effects that they're given
1: so just like one of the most basic programs they have is a data spike where you just send harmful code into a thing and it malfunctions and becomes damaged or even broken And one of the things to keep in mind, like I'd mentioned way back about how kind of the three worlds overlap, everything is wireless. Everything is on the matrix. Everything has smart functions, and that's how they overlap with the world. I know it sounds kind of silly, but one of my favorite moments from being a Decker was like a high stakes negotiation with these gangers. And then I hacked his smart underpants to send a soiled signal to everyone else. And then we all laughed and then everything moved on from there so that everything down to your underpants is smart and connected to the internet. So it really lets you have control over the situations and not just while you're hard in the matrix. That's kind of one of the things that, we're trying to get across between the three archetypes is that magic can still affect other things. It's just kind of your, and matrix can affect other aspects. It's just how you go about affecting those things.
0: So that's matrix. And then with a rigor, obviously we're dealing with, with drones. What's an example or two of a drone and something it could do.
1: So back when I talked about uh, riggers, one of their big things is like recon and overwatch. So one of their most iconic drones from Shadowrun is called a Fly Spy, and it's exactly what it sounds like. It looks just like a fly or a wasp or a dragonfly, and it looks just like the real thing. And you fly it in there, and you can see what people are doing, and you can kind of see what's going on around you. And then, of course, there are your classic drones, which is just four fans with a gun on it. And you can fly that around to help in situations where a flying gun would come in handy.
0: All Right. And as we mentioned, the Technomancer picks one of those two roles and goes through it. So for all kinds of of challenges, really, any of the three uh, archetypes could potentially overcome that challenge. So let's just throw out an example. Let's say your party comes up to a large steel door that is magnetically sealed. How would you get through or overcome it, starting with uh, if you were a meat-type character?
1: So, of course, as your meat-type character, the most obvious solution is that you turn on your muscle replacements and you just grab that door and tear it off the the hinges. It's not particularly subtle, but it gets the job done.
0: Kick that door down. (laughs) And then how would uh, a magic user approach that?
1: So as a magic user, once again, um, you could have various attack spells very similar to other systems. You could create acid to destroy the locks or more sinisterly, if your wizard is like that, if your uh, caster is like that, you could use various mind control spells to whoever has the key to this door to then open it for you from the other side.
0: Or just open a portal and convince your teammates to go through while you stay behind, right?
1: Well, that's actually one of the uh, core tenets of Shadowrun, just kind of one of the things that keeps things a little more balanced, is there is no teleportation magic. There is no teleportation magic of any kind, because it would be so easy to overcome so many technical obstacles if you could just teleport or portal past them. Another one of the hard no's is once you're dead, you're dead. There's no resurrection magic, and if the dead start coming back to life, you have a very different, much more serious problem. And then there's also no time travel. I think that might be more for narrative reasons than anything else, though, just to kind of keep their timeline a little tidier than some other magic-based systems.
0: All right, I'm taking some notes here. I feel like those are something we should definitely put in the rules so people know that's true that's true no teleportation no time travel no resurrection that's exactly it all right awesome so by the time people listen to this they'll have already read it (laughs) you didn't have this perfected before you decided to talk about it no we did not that's all right (laughs) (laughs)
1: and then of course your technical characters can either hack the computer controlling the door or even just open up the panel and start moving wires around until it opens just kind of the more technical problem you know a technical
0: solution for a technical problem yeah, there we go so a simple problem a common one to encounter and really any any archetype can any type of character is going to have some way to, to overcome this so i imagine throughout the game we'll probably have scenarios where we require a role of one type or another similar to what we did in 2021 um but i don't think that you need to worry that if you've got uh all four meat characters on your squad that you're going to be stuck and unable to, to advance, for example.
1: Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, as we've been making the system, we've been trying to make the three archetypes as balanced as possible to just make, you know, tr- trying to boil them down to which will you have the most fun with, which is the ki- type of story you're looking to explore. And we're trying to do our best to not punish you for being the cool thing that you want to be.
0: Right. Right. That's pretty much everything to character creation. Now, when it comes to actually playing the game, it's going to play out much like any other play by post game where you're going to be presented with the scenario and asked to respond, make some type of a role. And the way that you know how to roll, first of all, if you're doing something that can't fail, you don't have to worry about it. Roles really only come to play when you're trying to do something that has a chance to fail or when we're specifically asking for a role, which generally is going to be, there's probably going to be at least one role every post is, is kind of what we target when we design design outplay. But basically the way it works is you roll a d6 when you're trying something. And then whether you're trying to roll high or low depends on what is you're trying to do. If you are using a piece of your adventuring gear, uh, the wording says plus one D, which means you roll two D6 instead of three. Um, so that means even if you aren't doing one of your known moves, if you're using a piece of adventuring gear to do something, then you can potentially roll two die. Now this also comes to play for using your Calm links or using your your weapons. If you're using one of your known moves, then you add another die, so that's 3d6, and that's a bit of a change from last year. 3d6 was kind of the cap with your own moves without any other kind of buff or, or bonus from, from other players. And then if you're doing a your specialty move or program or your signature move or program or complex form or spell, then you add a fourth die, so it's 4d6. And basically, you roll all of these die, and then you count the number of them that succeed, whether you're rolling high or low, and each of those is one success. And then if you have control, your character number, that's a credit counts as, as two successes. And then we just add up the number of successes. So the, the way that the, the rules work, if you fail, if you don't have any, any dice that succeed, you fail, and there's going to be some kind of a penalty or setback. If you only get one success, that means that you barely succeeded. You will succeed, but there's going to be some kind of cost. And then two or more successes means that you did the job and you and you did it well. Um, now, obviously, with some of the other effects in the game, you can buff other characters. Or there may be situations where you have bonuses or minuses where you're rolling more or less die. What we'll essentially look at is the number of successes total towards overcoming an objective. And that's kind of the the way that, that, that we uh, score how, how successful you have been. Um, now, granted, that you still have to be doing something that moves towards the goal. So, for example, if your your objective is to drown a lake and you roll really high to jump up high in the air, nowhere near the lake, that doesn't help overcome the objective.
1: Another thing, another thing to keep in mind, too, is that we're talking about like two successes or greater. So you can, you know, if you align everything and have your signature gear and your signature move and your items, you could at max be rolling four dice but if the maximum amount of success is two dice, you can still afford to do the less optimal but cooler or more fun thing because we're also going to be grading on, you know, good writing and good teamwork and good problem solving and not just who can arrange the situation to align with their dice the most frequently.
0: Yeah, and that's one big change we made this year is the mechanical set success is still a factor in your measurement, but it's no longer half of it. It's just one of the categories that gets added into the, the judges' scores. All right, with that, that gives us our overview of Outplay the System, Rev 2022, with a Shadow Run theme to it. Hopefully, if uh, nothing else, this has given you some ideas of some type of characters that you could potentially put together and throw in. And uh, any, any parting words of wisdom for us, Inveros?
1: I mean, honestly, what's got me most excited about this is that I've always enjoyed Shadow Run for the setting, and it's something that I've needed to subdue the system so that I can enjoy the setting. With this outplay the system, now you can just enjoy the setting. So have fun with it, you know, do something that you're going to be like, yeah, that's going to be real cool when I do that, because that's... One of the things I mentioned is my favorite part about playing Shadowrun is that right out of the box, you feel cool and get to do cool things. So make characters that can set up those situations where you can do cool things and feel like, yeah, I'm a cool, you know, I'm doing cool stuff and having fun.
0: All right. Awesome. I will point out that uh, when we threw up the poll at the start of the year for what system you'd actually play, um, you know, we had we did have a, a number of votes for some of the traditional systems, D&D and Pathfinder. But we had an overwhelming majority like the the outplay system hack that we ran last year. And uh, Inveros is the one who suggested, hey, we should do a Shadowrun theme version of this. So uh, I liked it so much. I said, that's what we're doing. <laughs> and if you're not happy about it, you can blame us, too. It's our fault. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Thank you so much for listening to the segment and we hope to see you in Outplay.